Augustine Institute Radio Theater presents The Victory of Joan of Arc. This episode is brought to you by The Mission Circle, a community dedicated to daily prayer and a monthly financial gift in support of the Augustine Institute's mission to help Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. For more information, visit missioncircle.org. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode, To the Crown. Thursday, the 9th of June. Jeanne returns to Orléans, where the army has reassembled. She now has 4,000 men, among them 600 knights. The city welcomes them with great joy. Jeanne reminds the commanders of their duties. Our soldiers must make a regular confession and go to mass. No women are allowed in the camp. There must be no swearing or blasphemous words. The French army march on to the town of Jargeau and camp in the woods nearby, where the commanders bicker about how to attack such a formidable fortress. It is Jeanne who makes the decision. Drive the English from the outlying villages. Then we may position our artillery to assault the town. The French forces take the villages around Jargeau. The Earl of Suffolk, English commander of the city garrison, will not yield. He attempts to stall an attack by asking for a parley. Jeanne will not agree to any terms apart from surrender. Sunday, the 12th of June. Jargeau is attacked. Both sides stand strong. Jeanne rides from one end of the field to another, urging the French soldiers on. She also directs the positioning of the cannons. Impatient with what seems like a standoff, she races to the wall with a company of men to place a ladder. As she begins to climb, English soldiers hurl down large stones, one knocking Jeanne to the ground, cracking her helmet. For a moment, the maiden and her banner disappear from sight. The French soldiers freeze in their places. Then the maiden leaps to her feet, raising the banner high once again. My friends, our Lord has condemned the English. This hour they belong to us. Take courage! Her soldiers thunder their way forward with renewed power. They breach the wall and gate, entering the city. The English flee. The Earl of Suffolk is captured. The battle is ended. Tuesday, the 14th of June. The maiden and her army marched to the town of Meung-sur-Loire, held by the English. The French capture a bridge that will allow the troops to move supplies freely between the north and south. Thursday, the 16th of June. The French commanders leave a garrison at the bridge near Meung and move downriver to the ancient town of Beaugency. The French take the town and begin bombarding the fortress and the bridge. The English surrender the fortress. The joy of victory is short-lived, as word comes that Sir John Talbot and Sir John Fastolf, English commanders who strike terror in the hearts of the French, are marching thousands of soldiers their way. Even now, the English troops are near Mern, 
caution then, my good Count. We must exercise caution. Is it best to wait, my Lord Duke? Appeal to the Dauphin for reinforcement. If we intend to wait, then we must retreat to a safer position. They are there, in Jeanville, and still hold the town of Mung. We are but a short distance here in Beaugency. If the reports are true, the English outnumber us. I do not care what numbers they bring. God has sent us as his iron rod to discipline them. My Lord Commanders, we will not retreat. We will not seek a safer position. We will not wait for the English army to attack us. Let us go quickly to Jeanville and drive them out at sword point. The Dauphin will have the greatest victory he has ever had. The voices have said it would be so. Jean, Duke of Alençon, please explain what happened near Jeanville at what is now called the Battle of Pate. Sir Fastolf and Sir Talbot were at Jeanville with their English reinforcements. But, unbeknownst to us, their numbers were not as great as had been reported. Unbeknownst to the English, our numbers were greater than they knew. The English still held the town of Meung. We, the French, held Beaugency. Somewhere in the middle, we found a hillside and positioned ourselves in battle formation. The English saw us there and did as they have always done. They planted pointed stakes in the ground to thwart an attack by our horsemen. Behind the stakes stood their longbowmen, ready to rain arrows upon us if we rode in for the attack. But Jeanne would not behave as they anticipated. It is the mistake we made at Agincourt. We will not make it again. We stand our ground, just out of bowshot. Let them come to us. Neither side did anything for a day. Finally... Growing impatient, the English sent a herald offering to have three of the best English knights battle three of the best French knights in open combat. The army of the losing knights would yield. I would take that challenge. No, Capitaine Lahir. Good herald, tell your lords that we refuse. If they want to fight us, let them come. Otherwise, bid them go and find lodgings tonight. But tomorrow, if it pleases God and Our Lady, we will see you in closer quarters. The English withdrew, joining their forces in Meung. That night, they bombarded the French garrison on the bridge near that town, desiring to recapture it so they could rescue their forces at Beaugency. What they did not know is that they had no forces to rescue at Beaugency. The English soldiers there had abandoned the town and marched to join the English forces in Pate. We must move quickly. Chase them and attack before they have time to prepare for it. Put on your best spurs. You will need them to overtake the English. Our scouts told us that the English army were in three divisions. An advance guard with their artillery and supplies, the main guard with Lord Fastolf and Lord Talbot, then the rear guard. In the field of Pate, the English found a line of hedgerows behind which they could hide their best archers. Their artillery and supply wagons were to be placed further back toward Jeanville. As was their fashion, they would place stakes in front of the archers. We learned later that they expected to slaughter our army like another Agincourt. What happened? Well, as any commander knows, wars are won by skill, audacity and luck. Or perhaps we should call it providence. Had God not acted on our behalf, the English would have been perfectly placed to destroy us as we approached. How did God act on your behalf? He used a stag. Meanwhile, the English did not expect our army to move as quickly as Jeanne had us moving. They were not prepared for battle. 
but our scouts could not find where the English had positioned themselves. Then, suddenly... Stag! There's a stag! Grab your bows! Our scouts heard the shouts of the English soldiers when they had broken from their positions to kill the stag. The scouts raced to Capitaine Laire and our advance guard. Laire attacked the English immediately while the scouts raced back to our army. The English army was thrown into confusion and went into a panicked retreat. The French army overran them. Almost all of their soldiers were killed and many of their nobles captured, including Sir John Talbot. Fastolf alone escaped with a small company of men. The Battle of Pate, as it was called, was won within only two hours. I do not know what became of the stag. You have my congratulations and gratitude, sweet maiden. And you, Lord Duke Alençon. Thank you, Your Highness. It is an honour to serve you, gentle Dauphin. Now rise up. The way is clear. Press on to Reims, so you will be crowned and receive the whole of your kingdom. I would ask, my king, why go through such a pretense? If we are serious, then send the maiden and her commanders to Paris. Take that city. An interesting thought, my Lord Chamberlain. What do you say to that, Jeanne? France first, my gentle Dauphin. Then Paris. Why? Think of the minds and hearts of the people. Rance is where our kings have been crowned for hundreds of years. Hmm. The sacred anointing with holy oil is the seal of the king's true position. I promise you, once he has been crowned in that glorious cathedral, any doubters will vanish. The cities will submit to him one after the other. Is that a promise? I promise only what the voices tell me. You are persuasive, dear maiden. You know the hearts of the people better than my council. Let us march to Rance. The 29th of June. The French army begins its march to Reims. Jeanne joins an advance guard with the Duke of Alençon, Jean the Count Dunois, and Capitaine Lahire. The 4th of July, the army camps at Saint-Fal. The Dauphin sends a letter ahead to Troyes, promising to put aside in all forgetfulness their past allegiances to others, if they will render obedience to him. The 5th of July, the army reaches Troyes, which refuses to open its gates. Instead, the people of Troyes insist that Jeanne meet with a certain Franciscan, Friar Richard, as he is known. Friar Richard? Is he the one who last April was hastened from Paris for his fiery words? It is said that he preached the imminent coming of Christ and demanded that all God-fearing people burn their tools of covetous gaming, vanity and sin. He was threatened with prison and charges of heresy. This is the man they sent to us to parlay. Perhaps to discern whether our maiden is an angel of God or the Antichrist. <laughs> it is a stall. They have sent messengers to ask for help from the Duke of Burgundy. Then let us attack the city. A direct attack would be difficult, leading to a siege which would be fruitless. The city is well provisioned and can resist us for months. What are we to do? I will meet this, Friar Richard. The 6th of July. The gates of Troyes are open, and Friar Richard emerges crossing himself and sprinkling holy water as he approaches the maiden. You see, Friar Richard, I will not fly away. 
Prior Richard is convinced of Jeanne's mission. But four days pass, and the city does not yield to the Dauphin. It is believed that the city's leaders want to embrace the Dauphin, but they are fearful of what the English garrison will do in response. What if we leave them alone? Move on to Ras. We cannot allow such a strong fortress to stand against us. They may well cut off our return. Yes, but the time we delay Th here... Enough! Enough of this, my lords. We must not delay on a course that God himself has set. By love, by force, or by courage, I will lead the Dauphin through the gates of Troyes. Prepare for battle. Count Dunois, what did the maiden do? She climbed onto her horse and rode to the town gate where the watchers on the city towers could see her. She gave the command to prepare the field for battle. In what way? She positioned our archers in a line 100 yards from the walls. Artillery was brought in view, mounted and aimed. Wood was brought to fill the moat, serving as bridges or as kindling. Jeanne and the men worked through the night. The townspeople gathered on the walls watching it all. By dawn, Jeanne put on her white armour and rode with her banner to the wall. As she prepared to give orders to attack, <laughs> there were loud cries and the gates were opened. The town officials, along with Friar Richard, came out. They begged for peace and invited the Dauphin to enter. What of the garrison? They fled through another gate. With the surrender of Troyes, all of the other towns declared their loyalty to the Dauphin. We proceeded to Setso, which was built by ancestors of the Archbishop of Reims. The Archbishop invited us to rest there while he rode ahead to reclaim his place at Reims Cathedral, something he had not been able to do for more than 20 years. It was part of the ritual for him to officially welcome the new king to Reims. Dignitaries came to assure the Dauphin of their loyalty. Saturday the 16th of July. With Jeanne at his side, the Dauphin leads the long procession to Reims. The road is lined with people who wave white handkerchiefs as they pass, shouting, Peace! Noël! Fathers and mothers lift up children to be blessed, not by the Dauphin, but by Jeanne. They reach the city in the evening. Bells ring, cannons roar. They cross the great drawbridge into the city itself. Trumpets and drums sound in great fanfare. The crowd lights the way with blazing torches. Noel, Noel, peace to our king, they cry. The procession reaches the cathedral steps. The archbishop and the city's dignitaries formally receive the Dauphin. After many speeches, the Dauphin is taken inside for private prayer. After, the Dauphin and Jeanne stay at the Archbishop's palace nearby, where Georges de la Tremoille is waiting. Your Highness. My Lord Chamberlain, it is late. I'm weary. Forgive me. But about your coronation, news has come that certain sacred items are missing from the cathedral, taken by the Burgundian soldiers when they left the city. The crown, the sword of Charlemagne, the golden scepter and spurs, the ivory scepter, the hand of justice as it is called, they are held now by the enemy at the Abbey of Saint-Denis near Paris. Fiends! Suitable substitutes will be found. Many French nobles will not attend, including, of course, the Duke of Burgundy. Vain hope on my part that he might come. 
Your Highness, what of the girl? Jeanne? That has been settled. She will stay close to me for the coronation. She wishes to attend in her armour instead of a dress. We are here now because she donned her armour to fight for me. It will need to be polished. We, oui, sir. But what are we to do with her afterwards? What do you mean? Well, has she not served her purpose? She inspires our army. I admire her confidence. Some would call it arrogance. She may well use this moment to her own advantage. She shows no hint of personal ambition, unlike some. I have no truer subject, my Lord Chamberlain. But, Your Highness... What are you worried about, Tremway? Be clear. Her success, sire. The people adore her in a way they do not adore you. All the more reason to keep her close. See to it, my Lord Chamberlain. As you command, Your Highness. Jeanne's armour and sword are dutifully polished. Jeanne's banner is given a fresh scrubbing. Then comes a great surprise. Jeanne's father, Jacques, and mother, Isabelle, arrive at the palace door. They have travelled from Doremy for the coronation. They have not seen their daughter for seven months. Oh, Montpiquet! Precious child! Papa, Maman, I did not think you would come. I did not believe it myself. The roads are still not as safe as we wish, in spite of your great success. How could we miss this moment? I have so much to ask you. I want to know about everyone at home. In time. But look at you. So thin and haggard. Oh, nonsense, woman. She is lean and fit. How could it be otherwise? Still, when I think of all you have done... No tears, Maman. Not now. We must rejoice. You are still in favour with the king? More so now than ever, I suppose. Please, Jacques. What? What do you need? Perhaps you could seek an audience sometime on behalf of your people. Oh, Jacques. What would you have me ask him? As you have served him so well, he may be amenable to... to... easing the tax burden on the people of Dombremy. I will see to it that you speak with the king. What? Why not? Oh. Well. It is likely he will want to speak with you both once he knows you are here. Why? What are we to him? My mother and father. Ah. So we are. Well, I am a very proud father. <laughs> Where are you lodging? I must see to it that the owner is paid. It is not necessary. <laughs> when the people of the city discovered who we are, they have promised to pay for everything while we are here. Oh, that is generous. <laughs> they have also given me a horse for the journey home. <laughs> oh, Papa. I am so happy for you. <laughs> we are so pleased for you. Once the king is crowned, your mission is accomplished. Yes? You'll come home? Uh, no, Mamma. Not yet. We have so much left to do. The English remain, and as long as they remain, I must fight to drive them out. Why you? Have you not done enough already? Let the men Isabel, go. you promised. Jeanne will do what she must. She will come home when she can. If she ever can come home. Oh, Maman. That is enough. We will not discuss it now. Oh, God be praised. It is so good to see you, child. Jeanne, 
Are you treated well by the men in the Dauphin's court? I... Yes. I think so. I do not know what I am to them. There are those who wish I would go away. You are not afraid, I hope. Uh, I fear only that my trust in those around me will... will lead to betrayal. You can only be betrayed by those you trust. God will protect you. The voices, they're still with you. Yes, but I worry that the royal court will now become a loud scream drowning out my voices. Then what will become of me? You are in God's hands. You will remain in God's hands. I know God will lead me where he wills. I am his handmaid. Yet, sometimes I dream and I feel frightened. You always were a child of dreams. What do you dream about now? Fire. Oh, enough of this talk. You must sleep. Oui, Papa. <laughs> Bonne nuit. <laughs> you will speak with the king? Oh, Jacques. I will speak with the king. He will be crowned because of you. Will be king because of you. Lift up your head tomorrow. Hold it high. Let all see the maiden of Domremy, our daughter. Sunday, the seventeenth of July. The great traditions of the coronation begin as Sir Gilles de Ray and three other knights, fully armoured. Banners held high ride to the Abbey of Saint Remy. They retrieve an ancient flask of holy oil, the sacred oil of Clovis, named after the first French king. It is used to anoint the Dauphin as the true king of France. Solemn oaths are exchanged, and the knights then escort the abbot Jean Canard to the cathedral, and riding their horses up the center aisle, deliver the sacred oil to the archbishop. Trumpets sound. The Dauphin, Charles VII, arrives along with his noblemen, generals, clergy, officials, and delegates, and 800 soldiers to protect them. Jeanne also enters, holding her banner higher than all others. The Dauphin bows to the altar, with the Archbishop kneeling next to him. The Archbishop offers prayers for the Dauphin, then the Dauphin speaks the oath. I promise to serve Christ and the nation with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. The Archbishop anoints the Dauphin's head, chest, shoulders, and arms with the sacred oil and consecrates the Dauphin to God. The Dauphin is then dressed in royal robes and given a ring and scepter. Then the crown is placed on his head, and he is guided to his throne. All kneel as our prince takes the throne. Tell us, Jeanne, what happened at the crowning of Charles? We were bid to kneel, to swear our allegiance. 
I was overcome, weeping. When I knelt, I clasped his legs. Did you speak to him? <sighs> Gentle king, now is fulfilled the pleasure of God, who ended the siege of Orléans and brought you to this city of France to receive your holy consecration. See now that you are the true king and that at last the kingdom of France belongs to you. All rise for Charles VII, the true king of France. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Victory of Joan of Arc, a production of Augustan Institute Radio Theatre. To find out more about this audio drama, as well as many others like it, go online to airtheater.org. That's A-I-R-theater.org.